0: I want to do a welcome and introductions. So we'll start with this head table. I'm Louise Fromm, mayor of University Heights. Stephanie
1: Gaughan, University Heights City Council.
0: Okay,
2: then we'll go to Sam. Uh, Sam Jarvis, Johnson County Public Health. Rod Sullivan, Johnson County Board of Supervisors. Eric Siddig, North Liberty City Council.
1: Laura Burgess, Iowa City City Council. V. Fix, Mara Rice, Johnson County Board of Supervisors.
0: Andrew Dunn, Iowa City, City Council.
1: Uh, J.P. Clausen, Iowa City School Board. Molly Abraham, Iowa City School Board. Jane Finch, Iowa City School Board. Rakeshia Harrington, North Liberty City Council.
0: Lisa Green Douglas, Johnson County Board of Supervisors.
1: Maka Wilcher Hayek, Iowa City Community School Board.
2: Mayor Bruce Teague, Iowa City. Mayor Chris Hoffman, North Liberty.
0: Pauline Taylor, Iowa City, City Council. Hi, hun. City of Coralville, City Council. Megan Foster, Mayor of Coralville. Lori Goodrich, Coralville City Council. Mike Knudsen, Coralville City Council. Keith Jones, Coralville City Council.
1: Mike Haverkamp, University Heights City Clerk.
0: And then we'll go to the back row. Uh, Hello, dear, Morales, I'm the
3: Executive Director for the <laughs> <laughs> Helen
1: Howell, Deputy City Manager for the City of Longville. Rachel Lennon-Smith, Johnson County Attorney. Jeff Bruin, City Manager, City of Iowa City. Ryan Heyer,
0: City Administrator for North Liberty.
3: Jenny Schmidt, City Medical
0: Clinic of Iowa City. Thanks everyone. Uh, so uh, the first uh, discussion and agenda item is from uh, Sam Jarvis, who's the Community Health Manager of Johnson County Public Health, and he's going to introduce our guest speaker.
1: Well, thank you, and uh, afternoon to everyone. I promise I'm not here to talk about COVID-19 updates, (laughs) Um, but what everyone is probably acutely aware of, uh, the federal public health emergency ends on May 11th. And I know that there's been a lot of news coverage, a lot of other information sent out, about what that means for our community and what other it means for other communities across the state and the nation. But a couple of things that are on our mind is one, uh, what that will do for COVID-19 vaccinations. But the other is what it looks like for Medicaid unwind. Uh, we saw an amazing opportunity from our federal partners at CMS uh, to be able to provide an opportunity to share that information from their perspective. And so it's my pleasure to introduce Kim Dobbs. Uh, region 7 uh, administrator uh, through cms and with the office of local engagement so kim i'll pass over to you and i appreciate you being able to make the time for our county this afternoon
3: of course thank you so much and please let me know if, if you uh, if, I, if i need to talk louder or anything like that um so yes i will go ahead and um i'm actually going to go ahead and share my Green, um, and I'll share some slides and then talk through um, just what that is. So, let me go ahead, and if this causes any problems from your all view, please, please do let me know. Um, so, as was mentioned, yes, my name is my, uh, I'm Kim Stika-Dobbs, I'm the RA in Kansas City, so yes, we do, I am the local engagement and administration, um, so we work with community partners, so I sit in Kansas City, um, I cover, so my team and I, we cover the four state area of Iowa, Kansas, Missouri, and Nebraska, um, and we work on a range of initiatives from CMS, all, all things under the sun, CMS. Um, and we work with partners, um, uh, providers, uh, associations, as well as community-based and space based organizations. Um, and so, um, when you were when uh, you mentioned about uh, you've got the invitation to come and speak here, it's it's, it's a great opportunity. And thank you so much for the invitation. Sorry, if um, I could interrupt so- for a
1: moment, could we turn it up a little bit? It's hard to hear the closer you are. To- the entrance is there a way to turn it up we've got it
0: as we've got it as loud as we can right now are we in the way
3: if I if I hold my phone really close does that help not
1: really it's not your it's not your fault it's just the the um, acoustics aren't great in the room
3: okay okay well I will will try to I will try to talk loud Okay, so um, today I was just gonna speak a little bit more about the end of the what we call Medicaid continuous enrollment condition and what that means for people in Medicaid and the Children's Health Insurance Program or CHIP as we return to normal operations. Um, so as, as all good government, um, uh, Slides or presentations have. This is a general summary. Uh, there is a disclaimer statement here, um, just because the program provisions that are contained in this um, can can change, um, and so those those because it does change frequency. There are links and things to the source documents, and there's um, there's uh, e- uh, excuse me website references as well. Um, so I'm just for a little bit of background and kind of where we are today. So. Medicaid and CHIP have been a lifeline for health coverage for millions of people during the pandemic. Due in part to legislation that incentivized coverage, continuity, and flexibilities that states adopted, enrollment in both programs is at an all-time high. So Medicaid and CHIP enrollment is at an all-time high right now. There are over 92 million people who are enrolled in Medicaid and CHIP as of December, 2022 a lot that is due to the continuous enrollment condition. So the continuous enrollment condition describes a policy that actually came out of the Families First Coronavirus Response Act, or FFCRA, which was the federal legislation uh, that happened back in March of 2020 that gave states increased Medicaid funding in exchange for keeping nearly everyone enrolled in Medicaid. So since March 2020, the majority of individuals who were enrolled and who subsequently enrolled in Medicaid have been continuously enrolled in the program. In the Children's Health Insurance Program, or CHIP, states have adopted some similar flexibilities that have resulted in the same effects, also increasing enrollment, which is how we are when we are now at over 92 million people enrolled. So just for reference, this is an increase of nearly 31% or 21 million individuals since February 2020. Um, So the continuous enrollment condition actually just ended. So the omnibus bill um, or the Consolidated Appropriations Act or CAA for 2023, so that passed actually and was um, that passed and was enacted in December of 2022, said that the FFCRA uh, that we just referenced in the last slide, that continuous enrollment condition, would end March 31st, 2023. So what that did was it decoupled it from the public health emergency um, that is set to end on May 11th. Um, It actually made this continuous enrollment condition end March 31st, um, that we obviously just passed. So with the end of the continuous enrollment condition, um, states have, are beginning the process of unwinding or returning to normal Medicaid and chip operations. So that includes restarting full Medicaid and chip eligibility renewals and for Medicaid, Um, potentially disenrolling individuals who are no longer eligible so because the continuous enrollment condition ended on March 31st states are now able to begin terminating Medicaid enrollment for individuals they identify as no longer eligible and that ability and that, that process started April 1st of this year so just the beginning of this month. So obviously this work will require a significant amount of time um, on the state part. Researchers have estimated that nearly 15 million enrollees could lose their Medicaid or CHIP coverage as states resu- resume normal renewals and redetermination processes. Um, it is important to note that those estimates do not represent the number of people who are likely to become uninsured. Um, it is just um, those who um, w- would um Potentially lose Medicaid or CHIP. Um, that said, a central goal for unwinding is to ensure that ensure people uh, who remain eligible for Medicaid and CHIP can retain their coverage, and then those who are not able to or are no longer eligible can then transition to other affordable coverage options through marketplace, Medicare, employer-sponsored cover, uh, coverage, or other insurance. Um, and so that's what we're gonna. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about what this process is gonna look like, and then kind of what um, what partners um, and organ- and what states are doing, what partners can be doing, and, and um, uh, to get the word out. So what are the states expected to do? So in returning to normal operations, states are expected to initiate eligibility renewals for everyone in their Medicaid and CHIP populations within 12 months. So that would have started in February, March, or April of 2023. They have, additional, they have an additional two months, so 14 months total, to finish processing the renewals that they initiate. Um, so states had three options. Uh, so that, that, um, Feb- February, March, or April of this year to begin redeterminations that could result in disenrollment for Medicaid enrollees. Um, regardless of when they start those, states cannot, could not terminate anyone prior to that M- March 31st or April 1st date. Obviously, now that we are in April, um, that 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 will change, and um, states can move to um, to terminate people's uh, Medicaid coverage. So leading up to all this, CMS has provided extensive guidance to states about other expectations during this unwinding period. So states have four months in this time to resume timely processing of applications to the extent that has not been the case during this period. Um, during continuous enrollment. States have also been preparing for this process for over a year to ensure that eligible individuals can retain coverage and to make sure people who are eligible for other programs transition effectively. Again, HHS shares this goal. and We are committed to working with states, governors, and others to provide resources, um, tools, and guidance to ensure a successful unwinding period. Um, so a little bit about that. We talked a little bit about timelines. Um, and so what this will entail. So generally, states need to renew eligibility for everyone in their Medicaid and CHIP programs once every 12 months for Magi benefits. So that's normally under normal, normal circumstances. And so again, here, when I say Magi, I refer to the populations enrolled based on what's called modified um, adjusted gross income. This includes most children, parents, pregnant individuals, and other non-disabled individuals. So states must renew eligibility at least once every 12 months for non-MAGI beneficiaries. These include individuals who are over 65, as well as those with blindness or other disabilities. So states must First attempt, and this is what's also happening now, states must first attempt to renew eligibility for appropriate populations based on information available to the state without asking for documentation. So this is referred to ex parte renewal, um, if you've heard of, if you, you know, if you hear of that phrase. It's also called auto renewal, passive renewal, or administrative renewal. If someone can be redetermined eligible based on available information, the state must send a notice letting them know that they are still eligible and requesting any corrections or updates if if needed. If a state attempts an ex parte renewal and cannot find a person eligible that way, the state must send a renewal form to request needed information. So for individuals enrolled on a MAGI basis, the state must provide a minimum of 30 days to return the form. Lastly, if the Medicaid agency determines an individual is ineligible for Medicaid, it must screen them for eligibility for other programs and transfer their information to the appropriate program. Uh, Many children may be transferred to CHIP, and individuals may also be transferred to the marketplace for a determination, and we will talk about that as well in just a moment. So, as I mentioned, states have been preparing for this, um, the end of this continuous enrollment condition for over a year, and have been doing a number of things. Um, They've been developing unwinding plans, um, uh, continuing to um, obtain and update contact information. Launch outreach and communications plans and engage a broad range of partners. Um, We all recognize, though, that there's a lot of work ahead and and challenges that state agencies will be working to overcome. Um, As noted at the start, there's a large volume of renewals for states to complete given enrollment is at an all time high. We also recognize there continue to be workforce shortages. And then, given how long it has been since many individuals have had contact with the Medicaid agency, contact information may also be out of date. So, that all said, um, we at HHS have been focused on providing the tools and resources needed to ensure a successful unwinding period. So we've adopted an all-of-government approach, working closely with state stakeholders like you and government partners to support the work ahead. So there are a couple resource pages I want to point out, if you aren't already aware of, that are good um, to visit and review. The first one that you see on the screen is um, the Medicaid unwinding page. So that is just Medicaid.gov backslash unwinding which is a page that includes lots of resources for states and partners to support the work of unwinding. Um, There is also, so in May of 2022, CMS also launched a consumer facing page for individuals in Medicaid and CHIP to learn about unwinding, get connected to their state agency and find help. So this one, like I said, is the consumer-facing one, and the page allows individuals to click on their state on the map or in one of the links below the map to give them information about where they can go to update their contact information, and then also does provide some basic information targeted toward individuals with Medicaid and CHIP. Um, This one, as you see on the screen, is Medicaid.gov backslash renewals. Um, Both of these pages are continuously being updated with new resources and new information as we um, as we continue to go through uh, the end of the continuous enrollment condition. Um, So I wanted to just briefly touch on what the communication strategy is here. So again, We are um, dedicated to make sure that people stay connected to coverage. Um, And so we're, there's a multi pronged whole of government communication approach. So there are two phases. So phase one focused on awareness so that people with Medicaid and those who support them know that it is Uh, that this eligibility renewal was coming in the future and that they need to pay attention, ensure their contact information is up to date, watch their mail and take action if necessary. Uh, Both these messages will still be relevant as we move into phase two. Um, Phase two, which started at the beginning of April, will continue until the end of the unwinding period and it shifts into making sure that people who are transitioning from Medicaid or CHIP to the marketplace are able to find coverage that meets their needs. Um, We will talk about that transition. I do have some slides on around uh, what that transition is from Medicaid to the marketplace. Um, I did just wanna flag that CMS has also created a series of resources to help partners become more informed about the Medicaid unwinding and how to help support uh, partners as they prepare to reach out to audiences. So, back on that medicaid.gov backslash unwinding, you can find what's pictured on the screen, um, which is the unwinding communications toolkit and other graphics. Um, There are key messages that are posted here um, and through the toolkit. and they're woven into a variety of resources. The full toolkit is available in English and Spanish, and then um, there are select resources available in other languages. Um, You'll see on your screen some examples of the tools that are available. There's drop-in articles, social media posts and graphics, text messages, email content, call center script, um, if that's helpful. Um, There are also partner tip sheets, for people, for partners who are working with um, those who may lose Medicaid or CHIP coverage, and then there are also fillable flyers. Um, the full Medicaid unwinding toolkit. Um, also, this one is the. These are both all available on the Medicaid.gov backslash unwinding. Um, in this, in the folder that you see, uh, so there's a there's a zip folder. Um, and when you open that up with the supporting materials, um, you'll find a variety of flyers, there's postcards, conference cards, tear pads, rack cards. Um, the materials, these supporting materials are available in English and Spanish, and then select resources are available in Chinese, Hindi, Korean, Vietnamese, and Tagalog. Um, and then the full graphics are, uh, like I said, available on that Unwinding website. Um, again, right now, we really just want to re-emphasize what partners can be doing. Um, so that's utilizing the toolkit and available messaging. Um, and it's um, really the, the key points that we kind of continue to hit um, for those who are communicating with people that are enrolled in Medicaid and chip is update your contact information check your mail, and complete your renewal form if you get one. Um, And really, those are the the keys. Um, I want to just briefly hit on um, the the federally facilitated marketplace, or what would be healthcare.gov, and really um, the process that's going to happen um, for Medicaid unwinding. Um, So a little bit more here about what we call inbound account transfers. Um, So, this slide provides a visual of the full process from uh, a state account transfer from Medicaid to the marketplace enrollment. So, um, this would be if someone is found ineligible for Medicaid, um, they are then transferred to the marketplace. So, when the federally facilitated marketplace. So if you see FFM, that's what it means. What it, It's the marketplace. It's healthcare.gov. Um, when they receive the inbound account transfer, a paper notice is mailed to the consumer with instructions on how to apply for marketplace coverage. And then an email is also sent if we have an email address. Individuals do not need to wait to receive this notice to apply for marketplace coverage. If an individual receives notice from their state Medicaid or CHIP agency that they have been denied or terminated from Medicaid or CHIP, they're encouraged to immediately come to healthcare.gov to apply for coverage. And then once an individual creates an account on healthcare.gov, they can start a new application and submit it, and if eligible, can select a plan. Um, and so that's just kind of what that diagram is describing. Um, a little bit more detailed about the marketplace enrollment. So again, anyone can apply for the federally for the federal marketplace coverage during open enrollment. So that's usually November 1st to January 15th. Outside of open enrollment, individuals qualify for what is called a special enrollment period if they experience a qualifying life event such as losing their health coverage. So to ensure consumers have sufficient time to enroll in marketplace coverage during the unwinding period, consumers who lose Medicaid or CHIP coverage between March 31st, 2023 and July 31st, 2024, will be eligible for a 60-day special enrollment period beginning the day they submit or update a marketplace application. Consumers can access the unwinding SEP by submitting or updating an application through healthcare.gov, a certified partner that supports SEPs. so this would be like navigators, and we'll talk about them in just a minute, or the marketplace call center. If And then, as CMS recommends that Medicaid and CHIP beneficiaries, again, submit or update an application on healthcare.gov as soon as they receive their Medicaid or CHIP termination letter from their state, individuals do not need to wait to receive the notice from the marketplace to apply for coverage. Um, For individuals who need assistance in enrolling in coverage... Um, so maybe this is the first time they would be going to the marketplace or they have questions about their coverage. There are navigators and other assistance personnel, and they are a great resource. So. The Marketplace Assisters, which include navigators and certified application counselors, provide free, unbiased enrollment assistance and play a vital role in helping consumers prepare their application to determine eligibility and enroll in coverage through the Marketplace and Insurance Affordability Program. So our Assisters operate year-round, um, and they um, help consumers um, find affordable coverage that meets their needs. So right now, sisters in the federally facilitated marketplace state, Iowa, being one of them, are amplifying key messages and helping communities prepare for the PHE unwinding by encouraging consumers to just like we talked about earlier, update their contact information and look out for renewal uh, renewal forms. So in August, this past August. Um, there was a historic invest, investment in the Navigator program, specifically because they, we released additional funding for Navigator grantees to facilitate direct consumer outreach, education, and enrollment activities necessary to ensure the seamless transition into the marketplace coverage. So, um, assistors in these states will also receive unwinding specific training, et cetera, and consumers can find assistance from navigators and other assistance personnel in their area by using the website that you see on the screen. It's just localhelp.healthcare.gov. Um, and that is a great, uh, that is a great resource. Again, free, unbiased support. There are also, if you, if you go to that find local help, you'll also see licensed agents and brokers. Um, they play a critical role in this as well. I just want to make the distinction because we get this question a lot. Unlike navigators and other assisters, agents and brokers earn a commission from their enrollment of consumers in marketplace health plans. Um, and state regulations allow them to make specific plan recommendations. So as you're working with people, if you prefer to guide people to navigators and what are called application assist, like assistors, by all means, you can. Um, if you see the term licensed agent or broker, um, that's just, it, it, it's, it, again, their services are free. Um, it's just that, you know, there, there may be other, they can earn commissions. Um, the last slide I just want to hit on. So, again, just want to kind of in summary, want to highlight how individuals can get help. Um, again, so they can visit that healthcare.gov and click on Find Local Help. Um, they can call the market, the marketplace call center at that number you see on the screen, the one eight hundred three one eight two five nine six, and then they can. Um, you know, they can obviously just look through the resources on healthcare.gov, or they can ultimately talk with someone and set up an appointment um, to get that one-on-one help for their questions. Um, so just that is a very quick overview of what the continuous enrollment period was, kind of where it came from, um, where we stand right now with states um, and and the end of the continuous enrollment period, and then our goal to keep people um enrolled in um coverage uh whether through marketplace or rather through medicaid marketplace um or or medicare or other other insurance um and i'm happy to take any questions
0: any questions for kim that's a lot of information there. I wrote down a lot of websites, but it is. can can you send me a copy of the PowerPoint?
3: Oh, sorry, I muted myself again. Yes, I can send. I'll send a couple different things. So I will send. I'll send the PowerPoint, and then I will also send. Um, we have like a couple blurbs. Um, So I have, like, a a short blurb and then a longer blurb. Um, I will send those your way, and then you're welcome to – you're welcome. Those blurbs are particularly helpful, like, if you have listservs or just other kind of informational things that you regularly get out um, to people. Those are super, super helpful. Um, That can just – basically, it's like a two-sentence thing, and then it's a link to resources.
0: So, Kim, this is Mike. Why don't you just send that to me since you have my email
1: already and I'll be able to distribute it out to the entire group, so.
3: That sounds great, we'll do, Mike.
0: Okay. Thank you very much, Kim. Uh, we'll go on to uh, update on the bus rapid transit and that for the Crandit corridor and that was submitted by the City of Iowa City. Did you have a speaker for that?
1: No, I have about a 25-second update. (laughs) (laughs) Love that. I know, your favorite kind of agenda item. Um, So I just wanted to update this group because we have spoken a couple of times about regional transportation. So there is a working group for Project Better Together on the Regional Transportation or Connected uh, Communities pillar. Um, which the kind of the members who are continuously meeting are myself, Kelly Hayworth, the city manager for Coralville, uh, Austin Korns with ICAD, Kent Ralston with the MPO, and Katie Gerlach of Better Together. Um, and just wanted to update you on the last item that I think we spoke about in this group, which was that the MPO is um, has released an RFP for a study for bus rapid transit service on the Crandick Corridor. The Parameters for a consultant to undertake that study are intended to be, to give us information that will be really comparable to what we have from the feasibility study, the phase three feasibility study for for the uh, passenger rail service or the commuter rail service so that we can really kind of compare apples to apples on that train proposal or possibility and what could happen uh, with the bus rapid transit on that route. Um, we've also, I think I've reported before, continuing conversations with the University of Iowa um, to make sure that we're talking about looping in uh, service to the North Liberty Hospital that is being constructed. So if anyone has any interest in being more engaged, please let me know. But the um, Proposals from consultants in response to the RFP were due at the end of March and I know the team was scoring them uh, with a deadline of the end of last week. So Kent told me today that he hopes to have um, a consultant uh, essentially engaged within the next few weeks. Any questions?
0: Laura, if you can see me down here.
1: Hi Chris, I can hear you.
0: the MPO meeting, (laughs) all Kent said to us was that the results of the study were going to be fast-tracked for this fall. Do you have any information clearer than this fall on that yet?
1: No, other than our working group is um, pestering Kent as much as we think is reasonable uh, and then a little bit to make sure that he's pressuring the consultant to really turn this around.
2: Right. Thank you. Yeah.
0: Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Okay, and uh, our other agenda item is. Uh, uh, upcoming meeting and there's been some changes with that and uh, this uh, this is going to be discussed by V Vixmer Orarez and Andrew Dunn.
2: Thank you. V. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, yeah. So the original agenda item uh, was really about an intergovernmental task force um, to address manufactured housing in Johnson County and that is still the case. Uh, and just wanna recognize a lot of work that has been done for man- manufactured housing uh, locally and at the state level. Um, and this <coughs> particular, um, I guess, pro- project uh, came out of a, a meeting that was held in Modern Manor. Uh, I think it was a few months ago. And an idea was formed in that meeting. There were, there were residents there, there were some you know local officials and things like that. One idea was to create a task force of like county and municipal Um, elected officials and staff that would look at how do we hold uh, manufactured housing park owners accountable to things like um, keeping things up like sewer water um, and just you know some of the manufactured um, housing parks are in the county some are in cities some are in both uh, and there's just different levers that we can pull um, just to make sure that there's things that we can do to help some residents Um, i think right now there's a as many people know you know having out of state uh, folks purchasing the homes and then also purchasing the parks and then not delivering a lot of the services and it's really a health and safety issue and uh, i i feel as though and there were several others in the room we just didn't know what we had to offer residents you know what can we what can we hold people accountable to So instead of having the May 10th uh, meeting that was in the agenda, um, based on feedback from folks and uh, lots of people wanting to be at the uh, meeting but couldn't attend, we actually just have a sign-up sheet and what we'll do is uh, pass this around. We'll also make sure that folks that weren't here today um, have an opportunity to sign up if they want to um, and just basically find out when is a good time. I think that an important aspect of this is making sure that staff are involved. So I've been talking with our planning development um, and sustainability department, uh, because they know not only the ins and outs of what regulations and ordinances are in place, uh, but who is like is it DNR? Is it county staff? Is it, you know, those kinds of things. Uh, But it would be great to have, of course, elected officials and staff there uh, to Kind of just workshop things and just get a better sense i think it's probably going to be the first of many meetings um but and also trying to be mindful of quorum you know wanting to make sure that we can you know have everybody meet but not have to call a public meeting as as much fun as that is for everybody um and then at some point that it will probably be that but you know we're just trying to find solutions i think at this point so um did i leave anything out no, Andrew? Covered it well. cool so we'll just pass this around, and then, um, we, yeah, within the next um, few weeks, you know, we'll, or within the next week, we'll send out everybody's favorite doodle poll or whatever it is that we're going to use and just try and find a time in the next month or so to get folks together and see, see what we can do. And, and maybe there's a better solution that will come out of it. It was just one idea uh, that people were like, yeah, that would be actually good to know. What can, what can we do or what can we not do to, as well?
1: yeah So there was a
2: group a few years ago that was also that was similar yeah. um, and I was a part of that group and I feel like is this geared more towards I feel like that that group that task force was more about how do we stop this from happening, but this is more about how do we How do we move forward? What can we do? Is that, would you say that's accurate? Okay. Yeah. And it really is based on a lot of the work that was done before. You know, so the reports that came out, the issues that were identified, um, it's not to take away from that at all. And if there's, if it feels like there are things in those reports and that information that we can move on, then we definitely should. Um, This was trying to, you know, keep it moving forward, knowing that a lot of work has been done. Yeah, great question
0: though any other questions thank you andrew you didn't want to add anything she said it all you covered it really well Well, thank you uh, thank you um are there any other discussion items that's a kind of a loaded question (laughs) (laughs) i like my in my meetings to end quickly but i just thought that this was a short meeting is there some We're going to meet next in July. And uh, I'll just go ahead and talk about that. They ended with this meeting a year's worth. And I wrote out uh, meetings that are coming up for the future. July 17th is the next one at Johnson County. And then October 16th with Iowa City Community School District. And then the rest are January through October and those go Corville, Iowa City, North Liberty, University Heights. And so we'll include this on the minutes. And if you need to switch with somebody because it doesn't work, just let us know. Is there any objection to adjournment? (laughs) (laughs) That's my favorite topic. Hearing none, the meeting's adjourned by unanimous consent. Thanks, everyone.